I have every faith in it. As I have faith in relations between people. May I say, speaking for my own press service, we believe that Your Highness's faith will not be unjustified. I am so glad to hear you say it. Which of the cities visited did Your Highness enjoy the most? in its own way was unforgettable. It would be difficult to Rome. By all means, Rome. I will cherish my visit here in memory as long as I live. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to talking about uh, Roman Holiday... We finally have like a real guest on the show. We've had some some miscues and some misfires this season, but god damn it, we got it right today. And we have a guest who has his own film podcast. It's called The Best Picture Cast, Kieran Black. Kieran, welcome to the show. Ian, Adam, happy to be here. I'm excited to share the airways with you guys. I love the show and it's just an honor to be a part of it, man. Well, we love your show too, man. Congratulations on hitting a year. I did listen to the Platoon same, episode, and I think here. it's I, I think it's your best work so far, man. So I'm not trying to kiss your ass while you're here on the show, but I mean, it was I genuinely really enjoyed your Platoon episode, and I keep up the good work, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, best picture cast, and I gotta say, when we started this thing about a year ago. I kind of poked around and, and checked out other movie podcasts, and your guys was the one that stood out to me. Your guys on the Cinemus podcast, I know they're a friend of, of, of your podcast as well. Those are the two that stuck out that I really enjoyed, so it's really, it's very cool for me to come full circle and be a part of this. Yeah, and I, I, I love it. Yeah. I should say that uh, Mike, who is the the host of Cinemust, is one of one of our guests that I, I I fucked over because he he was supposed to be on our The Killers episode, and uh, I just gave him the wrong date. So so, sorry, Mike. That's okay. He'll be back. He'll he'll be back for yes. a very big episode later this season. Very excited for that. Mike does a great job with Cinemust too. So both of you guys were the ones that stood out. So. Uh, it, it's very cool to, to, to be part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to skip kind of the banter that we normally would. But Ian, I know you 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 kind of gave some homework to Kieran. Do you want to maybe... Uh... <laughs> I, I did, yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Kieran is our first East Coaster on the show. And so I was kind of curious to get your take on East Coast movies, how the East Coast is represented in film. Like, what are some of your recommends if you want a flavor of the East Coast 
New York specifically, maybe, these are the films that you should watch. Hell yeah, all right. So I'm the, I'm the, uh, the representative of the East Coast. I love it. So, yeah, so New, New York, I mean, New York City is obviously well represented in film for sure. And I think that there's, you get, you get some awesome representations of it and some where they're just filming in Vancouver and pretending it's New York. But uh, I would say, like, filmmakers, Marty, Spike Lee, uh, I know we don't talk about him, but Woody Allen would be another one that, that probably best represent uh, New York City. We just covered Annie Hall, and, you know, we did our whole disclaimer of, you know, separating the art from the artist and all that. But I think that movie really represents New York really well. You guys just covered Spike Lee and... Um, do the right thing. Do the right thing, right. Do the right thing. To, that's, a, that's a great one. And, and that's, that's Summer in the City right there. Uh, two other ones that I, that I love by him that really kind of represent the city well are, and it's, it's more or less underrated, or I, I maybe let that be the opinion of the, of the viewer, but uh, Summer of Sam is one that I love of his. It really gets a feel for the city. I know the critics don't necessarily love that one. I've always enjoyed that one, and you get kind of that 70s summer feel. He Got Game would be another one where they show Coney Island, which is one of my favorite parts of, of uh, Brooklyn. Um, as far as Marty goes, I mean, Taxi Driver, of course, you know, but the, again, that's that 70s feel. And I would say also, sorry, other ones, I mean, Ghostbusters. Uh, I think Ghostbusters <laughs> is a great New York City movie, you know. It's, I love it. I love it. Just gets, gets that feel out there. Uh, now, another one that I think, Ian, you recommended recently was, and I just watched it this week for this because it was a Spike Lee movie that I had. It was kind of a gap for me, but that was uh, 25th Hour, and oh, it was awesome. my first viewing of it, and I got to tell you, man, 100%, not only does it encapsulate New York City, but it gets that period of time after 9-11, which is very hard to describe to anyone what that felt like. I mean, I, I 9-11 happened. I was, I was a senior in high school when that happened. So I'm kind of going to college around that time. And it's just was a very weird time to be around here. And I'm, I mean, anywhere in this, in the country for sure. But that movie just kind of came out. I think that they inserted some of that stuff in post-production from what, from what I know uh, with it. And it really, the, the vibe is, is, is real thick in that movie. And, it's like a fog and uh, the acting and all that, the, the cuts of the streets of the city and all that. I thought that movie for sure really popped for me this week in, in checking that out. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great recommend. Thanks a lot for that, for sure. And I love Ed Norton anytime I, I can get him. Um, but I'm from Long Island, New York. So one of my favorite movies is, is on takes place on Long Island. And that would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minds. I was yeah, I, the, uh, I was so hoping you were going to say that. Hell yeah! I mean, you get the Long Island Railroad and that, and you, you get the shots of Montauk. Uh, Wall Street would be another one where they get they give you the city, they give you Montauk there, and and then uh, the other one. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a movie called Day Trippers. It's from nineteen ninety six. I've, I've heard of that. Is that it's Greg Matola, right? Uh, yeah, it's the director of Superbad. Uh, and uh, Stanley Tucci, Liev Schreiber in that one, Parker Posey too. A little small indie flick, but it just gets a real feel of Long Island and commuting to the city and all that too. So, um, And if you're just talking East Coast, you got to mention The Wire, right? Baltimore? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. What a show. What a show. 
I would I would throw one I would throw one back at you. I'm curious if you've ever seen um, a guide to recognizing your saints with Robert Downey Jr. And to get your oh man, you gotta gotta check that movie out. It's got a it's got a real flavor of uh, kids. Again, I don't know if you've seen kids either, but both of those like I see those and I instantly think, man, that that to me not having ever been there, that feels like what New York must be like. Totally. From from a very youthful sort of point of view, anyway. Totally underrated ensemble movie. That that that's got a great cast. That's it's RDJ, uh, Channing Tatum, Shia LaBeouf, Rosario Dawson, Chaz Palminteri. Oh, it's good, and they're all really good in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, it's all right. Yeah, I gotta gotta add that to the list then for sure. Well, awesome. All right. Well, yeah. if we're, I, I'm I'm happy to hear I'm happy to hear Taxi Driver in the mix there, man. That movie is like top 10 films of all time for me like i i dig that movie hard yeah yeah for sure you just get that and 70s is is, gets that different time in the city and it was when it was starting to get a little overcrowded the garbage strike and all that and and there was a real mood to it at that time from what i understand and and yeah taxi driver would be the first place i'd go there with that Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for doing a little bit of homework for us and giving us some some recommends and some, like I said, some flavor of the East Coast being here on the show with us. I appreciate that, man. Of course. Of course. And don't think that Ghostbusters is an unrealistic. Oh, oh no, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, that was a, that was a laugh. Not of uh, that wasn't that wasn't a condescending laugh. That was a laugh of like almost like recognition. Like, I see you, man. I see you with the Ghostbusters. That's a message yeah. to the listener. Don't don't sleep on Ghostbusters. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, you've got to convince Adam of that. Adam is amongst the three of us is not the the Ghostbusters fan. I'm I'm lukewarm. Ooh. Lukewarm. Okay. Okay. And you guys. So I listened to. I guess today when whenever this comes out, but the today that we're recording this, your Birdman episode came out, and I will say that the brief shots of the outside of Birdman are a great depiction of Times Square too, and those those city those. Those Broadway shows lead right out into Times Square. I mean, I saw the Giants win the Super Bowl at a bar right on those that Broadway strip there. And that is like when, when Times Square is popping, I mean, that's what it looks like. So that that's a good one, too, for sure. And then Uncut Gems, I think, would be another one. Oh, dude. Oh, man. Uncut Gems. Yeah. What a fucking movie. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. Okay, cool. So, Ian... Do you have like a, an actual recommend? Because I I don't. Oh, you don't. Well, you, no. Did you come? No. Did you come unprepared this week? No, I didn't come unprepared. I <laughs> I I watched a couple of things that I I I was so sure I was going to want to recommend, but then I I didn't. So what I what I was gonna say is that I I I did go to the movie theater this last weekend with my daughter and saw Raya and the last dragon in a big ass theater. And I enjoyed every second of it. It was the movie was fine, but I just, I enjoyed being there so much. Don't, don't rub it in. You son of a bitch. No, no. I I think I said it. I I said it a couple episodes. Hey, Kieran, I haven't been to the movie theaters. I haven't been to a theater since January 20. I marked the day January 26, 2020. And I saw the gentleman, the fucking guy, terrible guy Ritchie movie. Like that movie, that movie is not good, man. 
and like that this pandemic shit needs to be over because that can't be like if for some reason i'm to like keel over and have a heart attack or some shit that can't be the last movie i see in theaters man just it just fucking can't oh that hurts that hurts and i, I made my return and saw nomadland and was so happy i did because oh, that's the movie had don't I tease me on my ipad i might have grabbed my phone or this and that i was able to just lose myself on the big screen and it, it was uh it was an important experience for sure it was a great return to the theaters that's awesome man yeah definitely definitely uh so ian you do have a recommend well i've been filling my head this week with uh, a little bit of classic film a little bit of audrey hepburn as we will get into when we discuss roman holiday at large Uh, i watched the documentary that was on netflix uh, dropped, I think, the Sunday before we're recording this. I mean, it's a it's a fairly good doc. I mean, it's full of hyperbole uh, and some some sequences that I don't think need to be there. There's some interpretive dance stuff that really slow the movie down quite a lot. But uh, whenever Audrey Hepburn is allowed to speak in her own words, that's all great. I loved all of it. I mean, they did skip over one really important Audrey Hepburn movie, an important movie to me anyway, is the one she did with Sean Connery. Uh, that brought her out of retirement, Robin and Marion, but I'll, I'll forgive them that because they go straight into whatever movie it is she did with Peter Bogdanovich. Um, but my, my recommend this week is the movie that she did with Cary Grant 10 years after Roman Holiday, and that is Charade, directed by Stanley Donan, who we have discussed on this show before. He is the co-director of Singing in the Rain and On the Town. Uh, Charade is a... I mean, this movie just smacks of James Bond just all over the place. This movie is like the James Bond wannabe kind of thriller, espionage, whodunit, uh, even down to the titles, the opening titles done by Maurice Binder, who did a lot of the opening uh, titles in the in the James Bond movies. But she is a, a woman who's on holiday in the Swiss Alps, and uh, she meets Cary Grant's. They trade a little bit of banter, a little bit of sexual tension. She goes home to find out that her house has been stripped down to nothing. Sold, everything has been sold. And uh, there's a cop waiting for her. The cop tells her, hey, your husband's dead. What's going on here? And then through a series of unfortunate events, finds out that her husband was a part of this crew during World War II that was supposed to be involved in a big payoff, $250,000 in American gold. And her husband and his team stole this money, so now the other three guys in the team are are after that money, and they're they're blaming her for it. And Cary Grant is in the mix as well. He's quote unquote a thief who is also looking to get his hands on this money too. I mean, it is there's just an air of silliness that runs through the whole thing, and some absolutely amazing cinematography and dialogue. I mean, I. This was this was my type of movie, and now actually might be one of my top ten movies of the entire sixties. Wow! Like end to end, the whole decade, man. This movie, I mean, it's just ridiculous enough. And Cary Grant is, I mean, I don't know a lot. I, I haven't seen enough Cary Grant movies to be fair, but he is one charming motherfucker. Oh yeah. Not Walter Matthau and George Kennedy in there too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, the cast on this thing. You've also got a very young... Um, you've got a young... What is the name? James Coburn. 
And let me tell you, Walter Matthau, like he steals the show for sure. I'm glad you glad you brought him up because he he has a line. I don't know what it was. I just I had to pause the movie. I was rolling with laughter so hard. This line is so stupid. But the first time that he meets Audrey Hepburn, he's got her there in his office and he's breaking down. He's he's essentially he's Mr. Exposition. He's doing a huge exposition dump. And they're doing this whole banter, this back and forth about him going to the dry cleaners. And he's trying to clean the spot that's on his tie. He's like, I took this tie to the dry cleaners one time and only the spot came back. I'm like, I don't know what it was about that line, but it just, it, it's so, it's so bad, but it just floored me in the moment. And I, I don't know, probably because it's Walter Matthau and how can you not love him? He's the best. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that is a fair point. Well, awesome, man. Cool. I know I have charade. I just again, it's one of the fucking countless movies I own that I've just never seen. But um, I won't. do you have that out of print criterion? No, no, I don't. No, I got it. Uh. <laughs> it was I I had a digital copy of something and it came with a free digital copy of a movie of your choice. And one of them happened to be charade. So I just like fucking snapped it up. Well, you chose wisely. Well, I, I hope so. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I, I will take your recommendation to heart. Um, would I lie to you? you yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might miss don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. And then, uh, Kieran, I know you gave us some East Coast recommends. Do you have uh, a separate recommend? I do have a separate recommend. It's also an East Coast recommend, and uh, I'm staying on brand with it. It's the Best Picture winner. Uh, and it is a Best Picture winner that's in the book. But I know you guys did your Billy Wilder episodes recently. So this is a Billy Wilder episode that's in the book that you did not cover. So I would imagine it's going to be a little while before you get there. And and Ian can take that out of the book, too. You know? <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on. I was I was deliberately I was deliberately being contentious with the apartment. I I will I will completely retract my stance on the apartment. I was being contentious. I got, I, mean, I got to imagine that a thousand and one, a thousand and one movies in this book, there's got to be at least 15% of these movies are like, you pull your hair out watching and apartment and sunset Boulevard are coming out. I, yeah, yeah. But no, no, I, I got, I got, I got great episodes, great episodes. Oh, thanks man. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, uh, the night, the best picture winner for 1945 and it's the lost weekend. It's my favorite Billy Wilder. Uh, he has four movies on the AFI Top 100, and this is one of the ones that isn't, oddly enough. Uh, but it was one of his two Best Picture winners. The other one was The Apartment. So The the Lost Weekend follows Ray Milland, uh, who won Best Actor that year. And he is trying to shake his brother and his girlfriend, and he just wants to have a weekend where he can just have a debaucherous blackout weekend, basically. And in a movie in, in the forties that is right in the center of, of the code era. I think Billy Wilder really masterfully gets this thing done. And I, I personally love movies that the pro and while I do a, love a good heel and I love a good villain, I love movies where the protagonist is his own antagonist, whether it's a movie like Manchester by the sea, where he's struggling with, with grief and he's his own worst enemy or the wrestler or even Lawrence of Arabia where, where your main guy is the guy getting in his own way. This is the epitome of that. And he just cannot get out of his own way. 
and as his his loyal girlfriend and his loyal brother who's had it uh, to his last wits end it's just a movie that is so real 75 years later that it's it's almost scary and uh, I think it's one of the more underrated and forgotten best picture winners as far as like the grand scheme of thing goes and it's probably the one that our guys at best picture cast watched and were like how did I not know about this movie how have I not heard of this movie and we had a real fun episode on it so yeah the lost weekend 1945 and great awesome. scenes in New York authentic shots of New York uh, City on the uh, on the street where you had citizens just walking the road not even knowing they're in a movie Billy Wilder insisted on taking a film crew to New York City to get those shots even though the the production company wanted him to film in California and he got it done and yeah it's just just a great movie I highly recommend you guys check it out I'm really looking forward to doing that one yeah yeah I, I uh you you actually accomplished the task that I I want to do which is to watch all the best picture winners I I got close in a in a fake way which is I now own all of the best picture winning films oh. uh, of all time um which which really led to a lot of just really crappy DVD copies of movies um old ones though so I'm not hopefully <laughs> um and like some of the ones I've seen are like not good I I I don't envy the day that you do an entire episode on Cimarron because that movie is that movie's bad. Yeah, uh, that's my ninety-two coming into this. That is my least favorite Best Picture winner. Uh, we're that one's on the on the docket. We're planning on that for season three coming up. Holy so, yeah, that's shit! Brutal. Although we did Broadway Melody, and after doing an episode on that, it's hard to imagine a worse movie. So I'm in my head. I'm thinking somehow Cimarron's going to be better than this because a Broadway Melody 1929, the second Best Picture winner, is just truly brutal. So I, I will. I'm interested to see if maybe Cimarron can step it up and climb to that to that next slot. We'll see. Ooh, woof, woof. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Great. Okay. So I, 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 my, my kind of recommend is Ray and the last dragon. Um, but, but not really, but awesome. So there you go. So the lost weekend and charade, and I love it. A couple of classic films for a classic film that we're going to discuss and, and let's get to it. We are talking about the 1953 romantic comedy, Roman holiday, uh, directed by William Wyler. And, uh, well, we could probably just dive into this a little bit now too. written credited first uh to ian mckellen hunter and john dighton but we should also talk about uh dalton trumbo and uh his what he was going through he was one of the hollywood 10 he was blacklisted he was not able to get the credit uh initially and then years later was able to kind of you know it doesn't it doesn't justify what happened to him at the time but the academy tried to give him like an honorary oscar later and stuff I, how do you how do either of you feel about that like the academy trying to i don't know save face decades later with this i i mean i would say it's better than not you know <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't yeah it's not great but at least they're recognizing and, and his widow was around for it so at least there's some recognition there uh it's it's a shitty situation to begin with i mean but I, I love the I love the little piece of trivia that uh, McKellen McKellen Hunter wouldn't give up his oxer to give it to the widow, so they actually had to make a new one for Trumbo's widow. I mean, that's kind of I mean, yeah, I get it, but still, dude, that's kind of shitty. Now, wait, was it was it that Mc, 
was it McKellen Hunter or was it his son that didn't want to part? I thought it was maybe. Oh, was sorry. It- Excuse me. Yeah, his his son. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Which you know, but still, I mean, I love any episode where we have a literal unsung hero, and so because we talk about unsung heroes on this show, I mean, Dalton Trumbo, unsung hero. I I yeah. I'm not gonna lie though, he's he's not mine. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm super pumped at your. I have an on-screen one as well because I've been doing that lately. I've been doing the off-screen and on-screen one. I, I do got to say, I love the idea of the academy knocking on people's doors trying to get their Oscars back. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. the, hey, uh, no, I don't know where it went. I can't find it. I'm sorry, you can't have it. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so now let's talk about who's in uh, the movie. So obviously, this is starring uh, Gregory Peck as Bradley and Audrey Hepburn as Princess Anne. And then I only highlighted uh, five other people because there's a lot of just smaller roles in this. So uh, I, I also highlighted Eddie Albert, who plays Irving, who is uh, Joe's friend. Uh, I'll use that word loosely. Um, Hartley Power, who plays Hennessy. That's Joe's editor. Harcourt Williams, who is um, the ambassador of... Uh, the ambassador of Princess Anne's country, and then Margaret Rawlings, who is her lady-in-waiting. And I will just tell you straight up right now that the only other cast member that I want to call out by name is my unsung hero. That is Claudio Ermelli, who plays Giovanni, who is just fucking swinging for it every time he's on scene. This guy knew that he was going to be in a movie, and he... I mean, he didn't just chew the scenery, man. He fucking devoured it. And I, I loved every second he was on screen. But I know I, that, that scene, that scene on the stairs with the kids where he's patrolling in front of the room. That's fantastic. Um, but I am sure I left some people out. Ian and, uh, and Kieran, are there anybody else that you want to shout out that I left out? I would just say the city of Rome. Oh. I mean, the first, uh, you know, I guess that's, you know, I'm, I'm jumping on that a little bit because it's not a cast member, but it kind of was in many respects in this movie is the first American movie filmed over there. The entire, the entire movie was filmed there. It can't be an unsung hero because they literally sing it in the middle of the credits <laughs> as you start. This movie is filled in Rome. But it, I thought that that was one of the, one of the most redeeming qualities of the entire movie. Oh, for sure. Oh, no, you, you definitely, you beat me to it there. Uh, uh, as far as individuals go, I would say uh, Paolo Carlini, who plays uh, Mario Delani, the barber, the, the all-off guy. He's he's my on-screen oh. <laughs> unsung hero. I love him. I think he's fucking great. And then when he comes back without the mustache, that little callback to the, you know, the all the whole all-off thing. I, I loved it. Yeah. I was char- I was I was charmed by him. And while we're doing this, I guess Alfredo Rizzo, the taxi cab driver, can get some shout-outs, too, because he, he really made the most of his little time on screen there, too. I, I don't wanna, he definitely did. I don't want to jump to it yet, but I've got a – there's a whole side story with him that I'm afraid to explore. He I, – I, I, I was I, I was troubled by him. I Yeah. I, Okay, well, we got to do that then. If you have some troubling information, then it needs to come to light. No, no, no. It's not about it's not about him as a person. I'm talking about him in in the. I am not so sure that if if Gregory Peck leaves and he drives off with her, I I don't I'm I would not be surprised if she's dead the next morning. That guy, I I didn't trust him. I didn't trust him. I don't know what he was doing. I I had sketchy vibes. Yeah, well, she well, could have carried Mulligan in, though. You know, it's it's very possible. Uh, we got- <laughs> there we go. <laughs> very true. Very true. We we not we now know the real source material of that movie. It's from it's from a, it's from a side <laughs> plot in Roman Roman Holiday. Um, I think Gregory Peck passed 
the Carrie Mulligan test? I'm not sure that the taxi cab driver did. He, he, he did not. He did not. <laughs> um, so so uh, William Wyler is in the book a lot. Let me tell you uh, what other films of his are in the book. Uh, Dodsworth, Jezebel, Wuthering Heights, Mrs. Miniver, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Heiress, and Ben-Hur. Now, uh, I had one of two planned uh, Oscar-related questions for Kieran, as that is the premise of your show. Uh, of of the William Wyler-directed films that have won Best Picture, I'm wondering if there's one or two that stand out. Like, what are what's like the what's the apex of William Wyler films? One thousand percent, and that would be the best years of our lives. Uh, I mean, it is. It is another one. We talked about The Lost Weekend being one of those like underrated Best Picture winners. The Best Years of Our Lives is a must-see movie. Uh, just you, I think it's one that like you'll read, the, you'll see these people's lists of their Best Picture winners, and it's always up there. It's on the AFI Top 100 list. I think it's pretty reasonably high on that one. That's the one I 1,000% would recommend to anyone. I think you guys brought that up recently on one of your episodes, maybe the, maybe the Killers episode that, that you had. But uh, the best years of our lives, for sure. Check that one out. Great movie. A little long. I mean, it's like 2:45, but uh, super, super great film about about soldiers returning from war and trying to settle their way back into society. Uh, uh, an easy recommend for sure. It looks it looks great. But while we're talking William Wyler and Best Picture winners, while you're here, Kieran, I gotta get your I gotta get your two cents on Ben Hur because Adam, as you can see, in his he is not a Ben Hur fan, which I think, look, it, it, I I would make two lists: my favorite films of all time and the greatest films of all time. Ben Hur is within the top ten of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion. Wow. Um. Yeah. So I was wondering if you were waiting for me to hop on me to say Ben Hur when when you brought up William Wyler. I like Ben Hur. I do like Ben-Hur. I, I, it's a tough recommend to people because it is super long and it's... It gets very Jesus-y at it's the end. It's kind of the wrong kind of epic, you know? Um, Jesus is in it. I mean, Jesus is there hanging out, so... Uh, for... <laughs> yeah, he's he's just hanging out. He's just having the Mai Tai, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Him, and the, him and the lepers are just chilling. Um, yeah, so, again, I, I I think I've tried to do Ben-Hur a few times and can't... I haven't been able to convince co-hosts to do it with me yet, so um, it's. Well, I'll be there if I, I'll be there, man. If you need a co-host for Ben Hur, I'm right there, man. Absolutely. Oh, you know what? Do that. You I know what? That. You know what? Count me in too, and I'll be the other end of the fucking spectrum on that one. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> we're we're gonna need you as a moderator, Kieran. <laughs> it's not. We're gonna take over the show, and we're just gonna need you to be a moderator. <laughs> Crossover Ben-Hur up. I love it. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, man, I love it. People oh. died in that movie. People died filming that movie in those chariots. Fucking A. Let me... Okay. I got. I just have to say, Ian, you, you fuck. Let me just say that <laughs> I understand the craft that went into it. Okay? I'm not, I'm not a moron. It's just not... It's, I don't think it's as compelling as you think it is i don't i don't know what do you say like charlton like the whole woody allen thing like separate the man from his art charlton heston is fucking killing it in that movie what, whatever you say buddy whatever you say <laughs> kieran back me up man he is for sure and i think you another one you guys brought up recently too is ten commandments you guys haven't seen ten commandments i have not oh no i haven't seen that oh he's really good in that one too that's cecil b demille um 
But uh, yeah, I don't know if compelling is the first word I would use for Bender, but it's funny to me that it's 100 on the AFI 100 list. They're like, they're like, should we put it in? Should we not put it in? Or like, eh, give it 100, I guess. But it's, just, it's right there. <laughs> it's like the afterthought. <laughs> we got to keep it in, but you know, Toy Story 99, Ben Hur 100. There we go. Oh, what a contrast! I know. I, I know. know. Uh, so let's let's we've been talking about the Oscars, so let's dive into it. Um, this won a few Academy Awards. Uh, it won uh, Best Actress. Uh, Audrey Hepburn in her first starring role won Best Actress that year. Um, it also won Best Costumes. That was Edith Head and Best Motion Picture Story. It lost Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, and Production Design. And um, some of the big awards there, uh, and this is the second question I was going to ask you, uh, that lost to From Here to Eternity. Now, in another world where I wasn't giving finals this week and just wasn't completely slammed with other life stuff, um, I planned on watching this and I didn't. So I'm wondering, Kieran, From Here to Eternity, how does it stack up to Roman Holiday? From Here to Eternity is a clear winner this year. I also would have gone with Deborah Kerr over over Audrey there for that for that award. I mean, I think that From Here to Eternity is a movie that could have won all four acting awards. And it won both supporting awards. Um, you had uh, Frank, Frankie Blue Eyes, Frankie Sinatra, and um, uh, Donna Reed, too. And I, I think it had two, I think Lancaster and Montgomery Cliff were up for actor. I would have go, gone with Cliff myself. Uh, but I thought that could have gone, that could have gone all four for the sweep there. I love From Here to Eternity. I really do. It's it's you get that uh, that it's it's Hawaii. Them chilling on a base in Hawaii before Pearl Harbor happens, and Pearl Harbor happens at like the end of the movie. It's all about all this nonsense that goes on before the the bomb drops, and you just get you get a lot of a really really great acting. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, this this that that's an easy Best Picture winner there, and I rate that on the higher end of Best Picture winners for sure. Awesome. Awesome. That's a my my that's a favorite with my grandma. She is an absolute fan of, of From Here to Eternity. I remember her talking she she talked that one up a lot in my mind, but she also did Ben Hur as well. Yeah, oh, there you go. And and and, and I think that it's like some people roll their eyes when they hear that Frank Sinatra has an Oscar and they're like, "Oh god, why they just give him an Oscar?" You know, and watch him in that movie and tell me he doesn't deserve that that Oscar. Also Ernest Bor- Borgnine in that one too kills him. That's the uh, Borgnine's the best, but we did we talked up Sinatra quite a bit in our uh, Manchurian Candidate episode. I mean, he's I mean he's fucking solid in that movie. Yeah, man. for sure. Yeah, um, the guy oozes charisma. Oozes oh. charisma. Of course. Hell yeah. Of course. Um, so uh, also Audrey Hepburn won uh, the Golden Globe for Best Actress. It picked up a DGA nomination. It won uh, Best American Comedy at the WGAs. It was on the National Board Review's Top 10 Films of the Year. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Why, yes, it was in 1999, as was uh, Do the Right Thing, which we discussed recently. Also, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Maybe we'll be discussing that this season. You'll have to tune in and find out. You've also got Night of the Living Dead in there, Ten Commandments we just talked about, Wild Bunch, and A Streetcar Named Desire, which it's a big anniversary for that this year, too, so maybe that'll be on the docket, too. Wow, yeah, we, there's a... I, we're, we're just spreading the love of the uh, films that were, were on the 1999 National Film Registry list. We There you go. That was, that was a good year, man. Good year. Um, it is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. It has a uh, 97% audience and 90... Oh, sorry, that's not right. 
It has a 97% critical and 93% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I tried finding reviews that were um, that really gave it any kind of substance. They're all I didn't like any of them. Ian, did you grab anything? Well, you know who I went looking for. I went looking for our boy Bosley Crowther, but it turns out he was not working at the New York Times quite yet. I know, a bummer, man. I'm sorry, Kieran. I was hoping that you would get to hear he you would get to hear Adam do his beautiful Bosley Crowther impression. Crowther uh, here. I mean, that's I know. That's it's a, I'm like, oh, Roman Holiday. Okay, well, I'm, at least I'll probably get a a, a Bosley Crowther out of this. I'm sorry, man. It's, it's a guy named a guy named A. H. Wheeler was working at the New York Times at the time. I think. Yeah, I, I got his, but it seems like Bosley Crowther wasn't until like two years later. So here's a little bit from A.H. Wheeler. Call Roman Holiday a credit to William Wyler's versatility. The producer-director who has been expanding his not his not con- inconsiderable talents on worthy but serious themes is herein trying on the mantle of the late Ernest Lubitsch and making it fit fairly well. He certainly is dealing with the formal manners of ultra-high society, and if the unpolished common man is very much in evidence too, it does not matter because his cast and the visually spectacular backgrounds of Rome in which this romantic excursion was filmed are also necessary attributes to this engaging story. A viewer with a long memory might recall some plot similarities between Roman Holiday and It Happened One Night, but this is not important. Mr. Weiler and his associates have fashioned a natural, tender, and amusing yarn. Can we tackle that now? I, 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 yes, I, I, I really, I really want to. I this because two people meet who hadn't met before and start to like each other does not mean that this movie is like it happened one night. Fuck that! No, it's not. I hated reading that. I, I don't agree. <laughs> well, you remember a couple weeks ago when I I recommended Ammonites and I was I was talking about reviews for that movie. People were were ragging on it because it came out within, I don't know, six to 12 months of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, are we not allowed to have two movies on the same subject within even that sort of close a time frame? Like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I did, I did, I do have to admit that I I thought of it happened one night when, when this, when I'm watching it, I had, before reading anything, and then I read, I read everything. I think maybe because it's association with Frank Capra, people jumped all over that. And I don't take that as a fault to the movie at all. But I, as I was watching it, I kind of was thinking, this is a, it's almost like an It's Happened One Night meets Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, that's <laughs> nice comparison. Yeah, I, t- I can dig that. I can dig that. Um, well, and if like we talk about, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? Oh, yeah. Who better to steal from than, than Capra and Clark Gable? Um, so uh, before we go on, Ian... Uh, do you have a do you have a list? I don't want to. I didn't know when you planned on. Doing oh, were you you waited? Oh, I'll I'll do my list right now. I, here here we go. Adam and Kieran, do you love lists? I am indifferent to lamp, but I love lists. <laughs> oh, you heartbreaker! Uh, I, you absolute heartbreaker! I, I love lamp. I'll give lamp some love. <laughs> well, I'm uh, this week. I'm stealing from another podcast host. We've got Zeta Shorts out in New Zealand who does the 300 Passions podcasts, and um, I've got the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions Top 10. So here we go, running down from number 10. City Lights, which we covered earlier this season, and my appreciation for that movie is the the further we get away from it, the more I dig it. Kieran, have you seen City Lights, the, the Charlie Chaplin film? 
I have not. I did my first Charlie Chaplin a few months ago, though. I did Modern Times, uh, which I liked, liked, didn't love, but I have to do City Lights because I think that's that's one of like the highest ones in the AFI 100 that I haven't seen. So I definitely have to check that one out soon. Well, I would I would encourage you to also do The Great Dictator because that cool. that's a that's a hell of a movie. Uh, number nine is a movie I've not seen, Love Story, but I've heard Adam not react well to it. Uh, I I don't like it. No, I um we watched it a few years ago, and um I I only really knew that it was famous for the uh, love means never having to say you're sorry, and then I watched the movie and then assessed my own marriage and was like, no, that's a that's a crock of shit. Love means absolutely having to say you're sorry. Love means I, be- I was I was gonna say. I was going to say the same thing. Liz and I will have been married five years here in a couple of months. And let me tell you, I, I say sorry all the fucking time. That is just that love means never having to say you're sorry is just one of the dumbest fucking and, things I've ever heard in my life. And it's just not it's just not. I mean, I, I don't know if I just want to chalk it up to. I, I don't know. I hate saying like it's a 1970s film, but like there are great movies from then. So I don't I don't know. But I just didn't I didn't really like Ryan O'Neill or Ali McGraw. I didn't I don't know. I, I it kind of a weird I don't know. Yeah, no. That's a big no for me. Uh, number eight is a movie I really respect being on this list. Is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, what else do you say? I mean, yeah, it's... It's a first watch this year for me, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I, uh, my brother's favorite movie of all time, uh, Brendan B., who's been on been on Best Picture cast with us. But I, it was a first watch, and yeah, I watched it right... Like, christmas eve i watched it right before christmas so and i think one of you guys said it that it's not really a christmas movie it's really not a christmas movie it's not it's it's not christmas is such a small part of it yeah you can enjoy that movie year-round and i think you should yeah absolutely uh number seven is a movie i've not seen dr shivago i haven't either david lean yeah great one uh uh, make sure you drink a, a large cup of coffee before it, though. You know, because it, it will lull you to sleep. It's it's a little dry. I'm taking it. Yeah, he, he took the he took the film crew up to the snowy mountains and filmed the movie. So you know, it's it moves slow. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I dig it. I dig it. But you just gotta you gotta be invested because it's otherwise you're you're gonna you're gonna doze off. That's good advice. Thank you, sir. Number six is the way we were. Which I don't, I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about that movie. Yep, no idea. Blind spot for me. Uh, number five is an affair to remember. I haven't seen this. It looks fantastic, though. Yeah. Uh, number four, Roman Holiday. That's why we're talking. Why we have this list. What we're talking about here in a minute. Uh, it's also number four. It's funny. It's also number four on their on AFI's romantic comedy list. So double dip in there. Number three, this is where it gets contentious, West Side Story. What, what do you mean it gets contentious? Because you don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Melissa, I don't, I don't think she's forgiven me yet. No, she hasn't. I know. I, I'm surprised I'm even welcome back in your home. I'm staying out of this one. I don't. Oh, I don't know if you no. heard that episode or not. Ah, uh, you, you you just told <laughs> you, but but you but you you have it, and you just and based on that answer, I feel like I got it. <laughs> uh, I will say that that's a, that's coming up on our our next season. I have two people who love it, absolutely love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in with an open mind on the rewatch, but I'll <laughs> say there's probably 
three best picture winners I'm dreading the rewatch on that that's one of them. Oh. <laughs> Man. Yes. Yeah. Uh number two is probably another contentious one, but for other reasons is Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I I, I understand it. Yeah. I mean, I, I still dig it. I grew up with it. I've seen it, I don't know, like 20 fucking times. Clark Gable is the man. He is Absolutely. the fucking man. Yeah, there, and there's an element of, of film history to it that you have to appreciate for sure. Yeah. Uh, unlike, uh, I, I think it's an easier rewatch than something like Birth of, the, Birth of a Nation, even though they still broach the same sort of subjects. Yeah, that, you know, that's... I Yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know... I kind of look at those as apples and oranges. I mean, Birth of a Nation is, you know, a 1,001. That's going to be 999 for me. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not anywhere near the top of our list of shit to do. Uh, number one is Casablanca. And, I mean, how can you not? How can you not? Oh, what a, what a good flick. Yeah, it just gets better. Every, I mean, 1942, we're coming up on a big anniversary for that maybe that has to maybe we'll have to tackle that next season for the uh god that'll be the 80th anniversary yeah i mean we can't not do it it's a great fucking movie oh yeah yeah that that sounds i don't think anyone's complaining about that number one there that's yeah. uh, it's not getting a lot of comments in the in the, in the web page <laughs> yeah so there you go it's not I've, I've been trying to do alternative lists but i decided to go with a soft often this week go for an easy one so let's talk about uh the film and and you know plot wise it's it's not very complicated, you know. Uh, Audrey Hepburn plays Princess Anne, who is clearly going on this tour of of Europe and has arrived in Rome, and uh, basically is just desperately needing something outside of her tight schedule. And in sort of a, a, a kind of a, a fit that she has at the beginning of the ep- uh, of the movie, um, they give her a shot. She's all woozy, and she decides I'm gonna leave this place and go find that party that I was looking at earlier. Except for she doesn't really, and she goes on a little adventure. And she winds up in the uh, kind of in the arms of Gregory Peck, who is a journalist over there writing for um, he's an American writing for a paper and uh, is, is slated to interview her and doesn't realize that that is who has come into his life. And then the whole next day after this sort of um, who is this person sleeping in my room, um, he sort of helps her enjoy her day, her one day where she doesn't have to have a schedule and hijinks ensue. And ultimately she goes back, but she's sort of, you know, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but she's kind of found herself. She's found her voice. She, she's standing up for herself more. And um, we end with a, a last little goodbye that they get to have. And, um, and then the movie ends. And that was obviously very quick and a lot of stuff happens, but I just wanted to give the bare bones um, plot synopsis. So, um, we'll just put it right out there that we, this was all, uh, this was a first time view for all of us. Um, so I guess like, uh, you know, Karen and then Ian, uh, uh, like immediate, like immediate reaction when the movie was over. Sure. So it, I mean, a movie like this, it's not the type of movie that's going to pull me in right away. But I also kind of wanted to experience Audrey Hepburn and, and having this be her first film. I, I've only seen My Fair Lady of hers. I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. So I kind of I understood what was going into this, her, her first major role. And she gets the Oscar. And, and I just kind of was waiting for her to either pop on screen or be like, what, what were they doing here? And for me, I thought that she radiated throughout this 
this film. I thought that both Audrey Hepburn and the city of Rome were the spectacles of the, of this affair for sure. Yeah, no, you, you hit upon that, that early as, as your unsung hero. I mean, Rome, I, I am going to say this right off the bat. I mean, they, they filmed in Rome, but they, they did film in black and white. And usually I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, black and white cinematography, not a big deal. Some films honestly look better in black and white, but I have to say, I do feel slightly cheated that this film was in black and white. I mean, they had to do it for budgetary reasons. I know that William Wyler was anxious to shoot something outside of the sort of studio, you know, with still with studio money, but outside of the studio system, because I know the House Un-American Activities Committee was breathing down his neck and all of that communist blah, 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 bullshit. But I mean, his the the response to that from the studio was like, okay, if you're going to shoot this thing entirely in Rome, you've got to shoot it in black and white, and you've got to shoot it with an unknown to sort of keep the budget down. And that's in in one way, obviously, it paid off because, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously we got Audrey Hepburn, but we also, I don't know, just not seeing Rome in bright, vibrant colors kind of bummed me out a little bit, if I'm honest. Oh, for sure. I mean, and it was great to see, you know, all the 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 architecture and and everything that's different from how it is, you know, it, it, in the in the U.S. And like, you know, our history is so short, and our our buildings and and our our, our architecture isn't nearly as interesting as what you can see over there. So, it it was cool to see all of it. But I I totally agree. And I and I and I'm not Kieran. I don't think you said this exactly, but I liked how you phrased it. This idea of waiting for for Audrey Hepburn to kind of um. I don't know, emerged like I, yeah, I, I, I by no means think that she was bad in the movie, but I also, I haven't seen from here to eternity. And and I'm already like, I, I don't think Audrey Hepburn should have won for this. It's not a bad performance. And in, in one way, I actually really respect that she won because it doesn't feel like a traditional uh, best actress winner. So I'm, I'm I'm cool with it in a sense, but I'm also confused by it um, because I just I don't know I didn't feel like I didn't feel like the performance she gave was was extraordinary. Yeah, and and I I don't disagree with that. I'll say in defense of Audrey Hepburn, and I think a little bit of it is of the time. I think because she emerged on the scene the way that she did that it, it just, it kind of a fever kind of came out. And it was this new sensation that no one knew about that all of a sudden is starring opposite Gregory Peck in a William Wyler film overseas that were debuting at Radio City Music Hall. And she just took off. And I think that that's a little bit of its time. And that if you're living there in that moment in the fifties, when that happens, it, it just takes over. and. Looking back and go, oh, Deborah Kerr was a little bit, she was just a little bit stronger and probably should have won that Oscar. I think that it's one of those in the moment wins that you can't really replicate by viewing this many decades later. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's And it's funny you said that too. And I don't think this is exactly the same thing, but you saying that reminded me of um, Jennifer Lawrence getting her first nomination for Winner's Bone. And then, like within five years, she had won won one and had four nominations and i was like wow that's just fucking and she's she's our age i was like fucking a that's just pretty yeah. goddamn quick and 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 not that she isn't good um because i think she is good in in certain films but it's i just yeah there's just sort of this like wow who is this new person just 
pop enough on screen and yeah i mean it's 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 interesting to actually go back now and to look at the first big performance considering what the 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 icon that she is in so many people's mind i remember i remember in high school knowing three or four girls who had that poster in their room the 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 breakfast at tiffany's poster and the the sort of there's a there's an idea of audrey hepburn rather than uh a sort of i don't don't know the quite the word that i'm searching for is is the sort of a foundation of who she was as a person and as an actress there is she's been put on this pedestal as an icon which was so great i don't care and i don't know if you've seen the the documentary that's on netflix or adam if you had the chance to watch that this week at all i mean it's it was really nice to get some backstory about her about her time growing up uh in belgian and having to perform for the resistance and uh dealing with what life in a sort of nazi occupied europe was like and this sort of full circle journey what the thing that's most interesting about her is not not her acting career at all it's this full circle journey her being a young girl in Nazi-occupied Belgium and the war ending and UNICEF and the troops coming in and bringing them, you know, the food and the clothes and the supplies that they hadn't had for, you know, five, six, seven years. And then herself in the last five years of her life becoming a UNICEF ambassador. I mean, that was really, that's the thing that's that's most touching about her story, which people don't, I don't know that, that people necessarily equate that when they think about Audrey Hepburn as a person, they think about her, as I said, as an icon. They put her on this pedestal, this this image of beauty and elegance and class and charm, which, I mean, they're not wrong. But I, I feel like I, I feel like there was... I, I hope this documentary is going to bring a little more awareness about her story as a whole. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. And I, I still plan on watching it, even though, you know, we're recording it today. Um it's so funny though that I, I I've been thinking a lot about this too with um, the, sort of the the wins and losses of everything being available on streaming now, which obviously I think it's great that uh, you know and and especially during these times to have access to to great quality films like so many of which are you know getting some Oscar recognition this year. I think that's amazing, but also it's it's so funny like how quickly a a, a movie can have its moment and then it's gone it's like it exists right but it's like i remember following um it just came out but like malcolm and marie i had heard all this hubbub about malcolm and marie and like oh they shot it during quarantine it's like this intense drama and we watched it and my wife and i liked it but like i have not heard a thing about that movie since it came out and it's just it's just so interesting the way that nowadays a a movie can come out and be gone versus something like this which is like you know there are so few movie theaters at the time where it's like this this would like play at one house for months and then go to like a smaller house for like for months and play and um and and I think a lot of that credit of of the sustainability of this movie is is Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, and like just to to get some perspective like it playing at Radio City Music Hall, like I saw Tool at Radio City <laughs> Music Hall. So that that gives you an idea as to what like for what that looks like so this was was an event well don't that that's uh that wounds me man i i had tickets to tool and i had fucking perfect seats before the pandemic hit i mean i was like i was in i was like front row of second section like so don't 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail the conversation, but I've been waiting. I've been waiting my entire adult life to see that band. While we're talking about actors, comparing Audrey Hepburn to Gregory Peck, I mean, Gregory Peck, how do you guys feel about Gregory Peck in this movie? Because to me, this is, I mean, it was written with Cary Grant in mind. And when and watching Charade, as I did later this week, I mean, Cary Grant would have been so much better in this role. I feel like Gregory Peck, I mean, he's supposed to be playing an everyman, but this role could have been played by almost anyone of the time. I feel I don't feel like Gregory Peck did anything important or significant. It was just this is another part. I you want me to take it or what? Oh no, I, I so it's 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 funny you say that, and it's funny you mentioned Cary Grant, obviously because yes, Cary Grant was originally considered for the role, but when I was watching Gregory Peck, I, I had the same thought. Like I thought I, I, I wasn't necessarily impressed with what he was doing in the movie, but I also, when I think of Cary Grant in, Oh, I don't know, a movie like bringing up baby. Um, I, I think it's too, it's too much. It's, it's too much to have that kind of a character in a movie. And there was something I actually found the, the subtle way that Gregory Peck was playing off of Audrey Hepburn, uh, kind of a relief, kind of a, a welcome, like, oh, he's just he's just trying to help her have her day. He's slowly falling in love with her. And, and I mean, is it, will, will Gregory Peck be remembered for his role in Roman Holiday? I, I, maybe not, maybe not over like To Kill a Mockingbird, but also it, it's, it is, it's, it's, the, it's the thankless role, Ian. It's, it's the role that like, he doesn't get a lot of showy moments, but I, I like, I like what he's doing. Um, and I, I will say this uh, this movie does it does the film acting trick. They both both of our leads do it at the end where they don't blink for a long time and their eyes well up. And it's like, oh, yeah, like it, the, the, the emotions real when really it's just all the actors. are th- All the actors are thinking is how how long can I keep my eyes open? Because right now they're watering. I bet it looks really good. I bet it looks so good, uh, which I don't I don't fault. A, them. I don't fault them, but it's, you know. That's a great throwback to our Cries and Whispers episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's well said about Gregory Peck for sure. And he's a, Gregory Peck's a good hand. You know, he's he's no Clark Gable. And he's just he's the, he's the quarterback who's just not going to turn the ball over. You know, he's just he's going to he's going to keep the ball on your side. We're going to we're going to ground and pound and we're going to follow it through and he'll let Audrey Hepburn do the work. And I think you said that perfectly. Um, I think he's been walking around with Peter O'Toole's Oscar most of his life. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, there it is. There it is. There it is. Because, I mean, I mean, listen, to kill oh, a mockingbird, not taking anything away, but the heart. character, let's be honest, the character won that Oscar, not the actor. No. I yeah. mean, oh, no. That, yeah, I, think and, that's, and the, I think that's totally right. And, and the, the, the role of Lawrence of Arabia is just one of the greatest roles in the history of film. I mean, uh, it's just, that's, that's, that's to me is is just untouchable and that's peter it's a shame peter o'toole never got that makeup oscar after that but i i would go with him as lawrence arabia any day well to to completely sidebar i think the nomination that he got at the end of his career for venus the nomination was the win in my mind cool uh, I don't know, but yeah, no, I, I, I struggled with this a little bit. I was like, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, I can, I can see where you would go thankless role for Gregory Peck, but it's, it's just something, everything about it is, it's just so serviceable. There's nothing, there's nothing he does that's overly memorable to me. No, and I, 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 I absolutely agree with you, but I would take, I mean, 
I for a movie like this, and for I mean, really outside of the uh, the big hubbub at the dance later that night, where it all all kind of you know chaos reigns, it it does feel like such a sweet, just like uh, slice of life kind of movie, right? And and I I just I would have. I, I like Cary Grant a lot, and and I just think if he had gone, if Cary Grant had gone anywhere near bringing up baby Cary Grant, I just would have, I just would have, I don't know, it, it would have felt different to me, and I don't, I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I would have enjoyed the performance. That, mm. That's a good good point too, and and you know you brought up the the hundred passions and like the romance end of it, and it's important to note that like this isn't like a forever love a forever romance movie this is a this is a, a holiday it's right in the title it's a holiday fling and if you're gonna do this we're gonna fall in love and and have babies together and live happily ever after that's not what this movie is and you kind of need to have a little bit of a displaced lead in that and i do think gregory peck does a good job in the, in that sense that was that was my my notes i was scribbling furiously during the last five minutes of this movie going, oh my god, this movie will be a gigantic failure if, at the end, while she's addressing all of the press and doing this press conference, if she rushes down the stairs into Gregory Peck's arms, then what was this whole fucking thing for? Like, I was like, I was just the whole time, I wasn't even focusing on the movie, I was just scribbling, please, 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 don't get together at the end of this movie. Which, and, which and is why that last, the last shot, um, plays against expectations and might be my favorite shot of the film. I love that we stick with him. We stick with that long walk. We get the expanse of that, of that, of that space and that one last look like maybe, maybe she will. And then she doesn't. And you don't, it's like, you don't even feel you're not let down. And in fact, it's like, it's not, the, it's not the wrong kind of, Oh, that it, oh, I wish she did it. It's like, yeah, it just, it feels, it feels right that she doesn't come out, you know? And, I, I, I really like that shot. I do I do appreciate how the film ends. I was gonna say it's mostly the script, but I would say that's the moment where even though I, I haven't I haven't trash talked Gregory Peck necessarily, but I would say that's the moment where he redeems himself is that look back, I think is the probably the best thing he does in the movie. Yeah, no, and I was just saying on the on the flip side of that from Audrey Hepburn's standpoint, I thought if she earned her Oscar in my estimation, it was in two spots. The scene where after the whole brawl at the at the docks, and again, I, I did not think that I would was going to see Audrey Hepburn smash a guitar over someone's head like the Honky Tonk Man in this film. But you know, you never know what you're going to get with people. Uh, but after that, they go back to the apartment, and the radio announcement comes on, and her reaction to that could have very easily been mishandled and overacted. And I thought the way that she played that in the character realizing that the holiday's over and it's now it's time to go home. And this, this romance is what it is. I think the way that she handled that scene, plus the way that she handled speaking to the, the press going through encountering him very subtle. I mean, the great, great call about the eye opening. That's nothing. That's not something I would have, I would have picked out myself as it's an actor's eye there. Uh, but I mean, we didn't need, 11 actors in that lineup. I mean, 11 press people in that lineup. Like, I'm in, like, can we get the Gregory Pecker writing here? You know, like, uh, come on. But, uh, yeah, but I thought that she handled that really well and, and, and not properly addressing the press member after Gregory Peck, just kind of shaking his hand and, and then going to the next guy. I thought that those two scenes are where I'm like, all right, you know, I can get behind this Oscar win. 
So yeah, no, oh. the, I think that definitely some of my my favorite moments in the movie for sure. I'm so glad you brought up that the list of people because I think I do think that my one of my biggest critiques of the film is there's a lot of a lot of extra stuff. There's a lot of extra people that she has to say hello to. There's a lot of places that Gregory Peck has to watch her go to, and I don't think there's just there there's. This movie isn't overly long, but the pace of it is kind of brutal. And I do think there's, I don't know, I don't know, there's 15 minutes-ish that you could probably lop out of this movie. You didn't like the, you didn't like the, the extended Quentin Tarantino foot fetish scene in the beginning of the, uh, in the beginning of the movie with the Okay, the no, dress? I actually thought that was hilarious. I actually, I thought that was great. Um, but I also don't, do we, do we, do I... I got the point they were getting, which is look at how tedious and monotonous this life is. Totally. But, but okay, but hot damn, I got that. I got that thirty seconds in. I don't have to. I don't have to see all of it. I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm saying that in jest, but I 100 percent agree with you. There's a lot of little moments that could have been chiseled down there. The first twenty minutes, for sure, are are a little rough pacing wise. You could definitely lose some stuff at the beginning and and get us to the point and get us into Rome and get us into that relationship with Gregory Peck. I was going to say, I was like, I, I got to the beginning of the minutes. movie and I was just like, it's 17 yeah. minutes before we get to meet Gregory Peck. Yeah. That's, that's just too long. Also some of the, some of the montages in the middle, I don't know. Let's, let's talk about the big iconic scene, the, the Vespa sequence. I mean, like what did, what did that guy, what did that do for you guys? Like I mean, you knew it was coming. So when when you got there, like how how did you feel about it? Well, I gotta be honest, I did not know it was coming. So that so it did stick out to me. Uh, I thought from a cinematography standpoint, I mean, shooting those scenes on the Vespa with with the natural crowd hanging around. You know, you, you got the people of Rome who are excited. There's a movie going on, and and kind of capturing them within the scene. I, I thought that was kind of cool. It reminded me a little bit of, of Rocky, where He's running through the streets, and you got the natural reactions of people. The guy who tosses Rocky the orange, and he grabs it, and they just use it. Like, the little stuff like that I thought was cool. Um, I, I liked the Streets of Rome stuff there for that, but um, I, do, I, I came into this movie straight blind. I did not know anything about it, so. Yeah, I... I mean, I, I, I get the iconicness of it, and it's so funny. It's... This this movie also made me think a lot about well when does something become iconic right when I mean was this was that moment with the Vespa iconic as soon as it came out or is this something that sort of builds as as Audrey Hepburn becomes Audrey Hepburn you know it's it's her on the Vespa it's her with the long um, cigarette holder right like it's you know and these things kind of happen over time in terms of the scene itself I I certainly thought it was funny watching Irving try to take the photos as he was driving a car. I was thought that's just ambitious. That's, that's quite the thing to, to try to do. Um, and I also, I also liked the, uh, the, the, I'll just use the word erratic driving that happens at, at points with Audrey Hepburn looking like she might bowl over some, some local Roman people. Um, but I, I can't, I can't say that I was like, that's romantic. I mean, I don't know. It didn't, I, I mean, you can. I it's it's tough because I I know that we're supposed to feel the romance, kind of building, and I do at times. But I'm also I also just feel like so much of it just feels like he's he's just kind of helping her have her day. The the romance feels really secondary to me. I agree. 
Which which begs the question, we don't usually ask this on the show, but does do you guys think this deserves to be on the, the AFI Passions list? I thought the romance was more between Audrey Hepburn and the city of Rome than it was between Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. And I thought that there was like a moment in the night, I think maybe after they jumped into the water and, and came out and they're both wet, where the night and the experience was personified in Gregory Peck's character. And and that was like a moment of romance there. But I, I kind of thought it was more of that vacationing movie of, hey, you know, I get it. I get a break from my from my life that I don't want to face. And then through that, she grows up and she's like, all right, well, you know, I'm not eating cookies anymore. I'm going to rule uh, whatever, you know, whatever country it is that I'm supposed to be ruling. Here. Well, and, and I, I, I I know that I was not I, I didn't like the comparisons to it happened one night, but when I. When I think about that movie, and I really do, I again, and the more that we we covered it last season, and the more that I'm removed from it happened one night, the more I, I the more I love that movie. And the thing I I appreciate so much about that movie, and granted, the what holds what holds Roman Holiday back, and sort of what makes it the movie that it is, is that it does have to happen in one day. It's like the one day that she can escape her life to to do what she wants. But you know, they're they're both basically lying to each other throughout the entire film. You know, he won't admit he's a journalist. She won't admit that she's a princess. And they never really get to know each other versus something like, and it happened one night, where not only do they get to know each other, they are brutally fucking honest with each other. And that's why by the end of it, when they they have fallen in love, we we get it because they do know each other and, it, and I, I buy it more. And so even though this movie doesn't end with that traditional, let's, we're going to go walk down the aisle and we're going to sail into the sunset, I still don't really buy that there was ever a traditional romance. I, I actually, I sort of disregarded that this was a romantic movie at all, but I think, Kieran, I think you're right. I think the romance is between Audrey Hepburn and Rome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and the other thing that didn't, you know, it's a romantic comedy. I didn't really think the comedy landed all that good for me either, but I don't think 40s, 50s comedy, just is just a personal preference thing. I don't think a lot of that lands these days anyway. I think that it gets very aged. There was a lot of slapsticky comedy in this that's just kind of, I mean, I'm not just not going to laugh at that at this point. But, um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, do people look back at this and really buy a full chemistry romance between Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn here? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I, I'd, have to, I'd have to say I don't. It's a, it's a big sell. And as far as the as far as the comedy goes, I think some of the funniest stuff is is Audrey Hepburn when she's fighting the the sedative that the doctor has given her. The stuff on the park bench is kind of good. And then, like you said, painting there's some kind of broad strokes that they paint with. They're like, oh well, we're making a romantic comedy, so we got to find a way to build in some laughs. So there's that whole bit of business with Gregory Pep trying to stop the Irving character from spilling the beans, and so he pushes him back on the chair. I mean, and it's it's okay, but yeah. I mean, it's it's not anything you haven't seen before in a hundred thousand other movies yeah the 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 movement professor in me i loved i love the way that he flipped her off of the bed onto the chaise i thought that was like that was cool that was a great oh, <laughs> totally agree that, that got me to pop that, yeah, yeah that, that, i popped on that one for sure yeah that was a great it's a great bit of business um and there are certain and again there are certainly moments like that where i i sat up cracked a smile again i i i go back to also irving trying to take uh the photos in, in the um in the car was great too. But yeah, it's not like it's, I, I think I could imagine uh, an audience seeing this back when it came out and like that, 
the the party scene at the or the, where they're dancing and then like all of the people that are there to get her come up and like all the chaos people were probably in hysterics and i get it but i'm also like okay yeah, yeah. that's that's something she hit him with a guitar that's cool yeah. I will say the one the one scene that does really work for me that's not a comedic moment but is I, I it's you could read it as overly sentimental and I don't know if you guys do or not the scene at the wall with the the wishes that people when their wishes sort of quote unquote granted the people come to the wall and they leave their little message I mean that really worked for me and I think in that moment I think the note that I took was I mean if you didn't in 1953 if you saw this and you didn't think that Audrey Hepburn was going to be the biggest star in the world then I don't know what to tell you. Oh, totally agree. It, it's honestly looking looking at it this many decades later, I mean her in this movie she almost looks like a time traveler. I mean she's like she's she's beautiful and stunning and it, she doesn't look anything like the stars of that time. I mean the the way that she must have come off on screen for people viewing this for the first time, they were probably like, "This is a star," and and Paramount kind of forcing the hand in in making them cast an unknown and kind of run a little actor's American Idol to get this done. I mean, you could say they're the unintentional unsung hero and forcing forcing the hand into that because they found a star and it's it easily could have been. A dud. I mean, if they found just some random girl who just didn't go on to do anything else, are we talking about Roman Holiday today? I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, no, it is. It is her movie, hundred percent. I, I d- mean, she she just has, as I said, she has an elegance that no one else has. The way that she smokes, even. I mean, I looked at at this Breakfast at Tiffany's charade. Just even the way she holds a cigarette, and like you said, I mean as a time traveler, I think that's perfect. I think you could drop Audrey Hepburn in any era of entertainment, whether it's vaudeville or whether it's now. I mean, she would just, she would be a star no matter where you put her. Absolutely. I have to ask you this, Ian, you're a big James Bond fan. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Big, big time. Uh, did, did I know that James Bond probably had the technology at that time, but did they have the technology to put a camera in a Zippo lighter? I didn't. What, uh, is that is that made up for Roman Holiday or? What? I I think yeah, I think we're I think we're uh, we're jumping the shark with that particular bit of business. No no no, I'm I'm pretty sure Q rigged that up and and got that over to them. Yeah yeah oh yeah. So Desmond Llewellyn was on the scene as Q. <laughs> yeah for sure for sure. Um, I do love and and again like I. I, I this was this is a movie though that you know after the fact I did I I did like reading a lot of the the stuff kind of behind the scenes and everything about um Audrey Hepburn's audition and you know after what what was recorded after they said cut and and I think that's like again from like being having been on either side of an audition table it's in, it's important to not just see the piece that they bring in because this is somebody that it, it's what they can do with a prepared piece is one thing, but then these are this is somebody you're going to be working with for weeks, if not months, and so it's not just about what they're going to do in front of the camera; it's how they're going to be on the other side of the camera too. And and again, by by all intents and purposes, Audrey Hepburn was just a, a sweetheart, just a wonderful human being. And I I I that you know, considering that they were thinking about going with Elizabeth Taylor and. This is before she becomes maybe the Elizabeth Taylor that we know of today. But like, I just wonder, kind of going back to the, you know, how do we remember Roman Holiday? Roman Holiday could have been a shitstorm if if Liz Taylor is cast as the Princess Anne role. And I just, I like, I love hearing directors just 
doing that little extra thing to, to find the person that they, they need for the role. Yeah, and this movie would have been a shitstorm if it was filmed on a Hollywood lot. I'll tell you that right now. And and that that scene you brought up with the hand and the what, what's it the the hand of truth or oh that yeah that that little bit of business that Gregory Peck stole from Red Skelton, which is it's still good. And and a scene like that isn't earned if the whole movie is filled on, on a holiday lot. Like you don't get and the, the Roman Coliseum, like getting the whole all of that just adds so much to this movie. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just don't think that you get that if, if we're stuck in MGM, just, you know, filming with, with foam sets. I, I, I will say that I did sit back in my chair and marvel at that. I am obsessed with that piece of architecture, the Coliseum. So seeing them in there, actually shooting in there, unlike some other films, there's a, there's a Bruce, Bruce Lee movie where he fights Chuck Norris and they're supposed to be fighting in the Coliseum and it's such a fucking dead uh, it's the worst backdrop you've ever seen and so when you actually see something that's filmed in the coliseum i don't know i get i get kind of giddy about it i think it's one of the most incredible pieces of architecture in the world and so i just i did i had to sit back and marvel at that just me being an, an architecture nerd here for a second love it wrong but yeah no i mean podcast. you guys you guys are right wrong podcast i know right no don't. i know I know. Yeah, I mean, if this is shot in color on a back lot uh, with Liz Taylor and Cary Grant, I mean, yeah, it's just another 50s movie that's forgotten. But that's so that brings up an interesting question, though, because it and I, I and I, I guess I'm mostly just curious is like, so you're, you're at Paramount. What, what I mean, what do you do? Do you do you push the Technicolor and, and then then you're forced to to be on a lot or do you do you shoot in black and white in Rome because obviously you you mentioned earlier you felt robbed of not seeing Roman Technicolor but then again like I just you know what's what's the the cost benefit sort of uh, analysis there on on what where you where do you lean with that I mean I I will say yeah I feel robbed but I I at the end of the day I would go authenticity over technology yeah, absolutely. And to me, when you have a director like William Wyler uh, pushing for something at the end of the day, you kick it around the boardroom, but you got to lean into the great director who's who's been there before and done this before. And they they had the 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 two ends of the stick there. I think they went the right way. And I would have loved to see this movie in color. I got to say that I totally agree with you there. Uh, seeing this in color in Rome would have would have put this up a notch for me for sure. I hundred percent there. There, I just want to, so it, it just talking a little bit about William Wyler and, and going back, you know, he's got, he's got so many movies in the book. Um, I was inspired the other day. I, I gave my, my two acting finals yesterday and I was really curious. I asked my students, I was like, do you, do any of you watch like classic films? And they were like, you mean like older films? I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean like older films. And the like anything made before 1985. Oh, do, no, no. This was the response I got. It was like <laughs> one of my students went, oh yeah, you know, I just recently watched the Shawshank Redemption. I'm like, fuck you, get out of my class. That's don't, don't, don't do this. Automatic F. Automatic F. Hey, he watched it though. He watched it. No, I. <laughs> F to anyone who hasn't. Yeah, true, true, true. I just so and I in a real way, I feel like you know, outside of movie nerds like us, like, do people really remember William Wyler? Like, I I know he's won a shit ton of Oscars, and he is he is the guy behind Ben Hur, but I feel like in a real way, 
if you mention Ben Hur, your thought goes to to Heston. But I does I mean, do you really think of Weiler? And it was funny. I did. I was trying to because I'm not a I I've I unfortunately have only seen Ben Hur of of the movies of his in the book and and now this. And I was like, wow, it's it is impressive to go. This is the guy that went on to do Ben Hur because I'm watching Roman Holiday, and while I don't I don't think it's poorly directed at all, I it was just a the, some big fucking leaps. And uh, and again, going back to the fact that yes, I don't like Ben Hur, but I appreciate the craft, and it really is it's a fucking spectacle. And I I like seeing directors constantly push themselves, and I I felt like he really he definitely stepped it up after Roman Holiday. Yeah, I would say just to go back to best years of our lives, to get to that soldiers returning home from war and getting them involved in society, which became a trope that a lot of movies use later with Born on the Fourth of July and so on. I, I, don't, I don't know that he got there first, but I think he did it in probably the grandest fashion earliest. And I... I in the best picture movies I've seen, when William Wyler comes up, that's the movie I go to. So, again, what is that movie's legacy? Are people talking about the best years of our lives today? I'm not sure. You know, it's on the AFI list. It, it's it's tough to say what all of these movies' legacies are. As many movies as he has in here, you'd think that he would be more popular and, and would be more in people's vocabulary when talking about movies. And it is a little surprising he's not. And I think Ben-Hur is probably what people would go to first. If, if you listed off his movies, that's the one they'd point out. Yeah. Well, I, he's he, when, when we talk about filmmakers that have a lot of films in the book, his... His filmography is the one is one that definitely excites me a lot. Like if if our season three wasn't locked down and you said to me, "Hey, I want to do more William Wyler," I'd be all over it, man. Because I got to say, best years of our lives, Wuthering Heights, Dodsworth, especially of of everything he's got in the book, Dodsworth sounds really intriguing to me. That is definitely on my want list for season four for sure. And Mrs. Winnipeg won Best Picture too, which is uh, a um, uh, it covers basically the bombing of England. Uh, during the during the war so that's that's an interesting interesting thing as well i think that that was like put in the book recently if i'm not wrong or was taken out and put back in i'm, I'm not totally sure the, of that but uh again three best picture winners and he won director in all three it's, it's it's pretty wild he's probably a director that we should talk about more i'm sure his i'm sure his influence goes further than we know yeah no doubt no doubt um, so in terms of like, uh, favorite scenes or favorite shots, I, I do think my favorite shot is, is the last, the last kind of crawl back with, um, Peck. Um, but, but I'm, I'll open it up to you too. Do you, what are your, what are your favorite shots in the, in the movie? Uh, first watch for me was the Vespa scene. It just, you know, I didn't know anything about, you know, the fact that that, that surged the uptick and people buying Vespas in Europe and all that. I didn't know anything about, but I, I just thought it was really cool watching the authentic Rome interact with, movie stars driving around in the scenes second watch uh, those scenes i brought up of, of them coming out of the water and then going back to his apartment and her realizing that the holiday's over and the party's over and i gotta go back i thought her acting and that uh, audrey hepburn's acting in that segment was was kind of the best kind of little moment for me i i'm just gonna piggyback on both of you guys both of those scenes are absolutely fantastic you know the the end that that crawl back with gregory peck kind of smacked of of the third man a little bit you know that that end shot of the third i kind of got third man vibes you know it's a little bit of film noir thrown in there i don't know if that was on william wyler's mind when he was shooting that probably not but that was kind of where my mind went anyway 
But but Ian, your mind frequently goes to the third man. So I mean, my mind does frequently go to Carol Reed and and uh, and my boy Orson Welles. My boy. I have, I have that on my watch list. I gotta I gotta see it. Uh, we just did Carol Reed's Best Picture winner in Oliver, and it was one of the biggest surprises that I've covered so far. Is I just oh, awesome. love the hell out of it. Um, but he, you can tell he has such an eye for for filmmaking. So I I have. Third Man is like on the top of my watch list. I'm I'm super excited to check oh, out man. for sure. I it's it's a it's a fucking masterpiece. It, it is yeah. the greatest film noir of all time. It's a good it's a good flick. Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, so so here's okay. I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little honest, and I I might be playing my hand here a little bit, but like, you know, I I would say that none of us has really spoken very ill of the movie, right? Things that we take some issues with and, and things that we liked. Um, but I got to be honest, I did. I, I I let this movie kind of wash over me. And the next day I was trying to think about it. And I the the one word that came to mind overall, like, and I, I'm paring this down a lot, but I just kind of arrived at meh. I just was like, it's okay. I certainly don't regret watching it. But I'm also like, I you know, we've 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 got Weiler in the book so many times, and I like don't get me wrong, I understand why Ben Hur's in the book, and then, and and again, and I I, I piggyback what Kieran said again, I I've heard only wonderful things about the best years of our lives, and I I do think that Weiler is a director who should be well represented in the book, but I I don't know if this is one of those movies that that should be in there okay so i mean i i don't want to hijack this segment but <laughs> I feel like I, oh no please it. please <laughs> go for it and so you guys do this every episode and every episode i think of two movies and i just say to myself well i could put these two movies into any episode because why are they not in the book and the two movies that pop to me are no country for old men and goodwill hunting I just don't understand how you could make a book of a thousand and one movies and not have either of those in there. And I, and then of course I'm listening to your Birdman episode today and preparing for this and then hear that whiplash is not in this. And I'm like, all right, well now I have three. Um, but I just look at it this way. Like, let's say you dedicated your entire life to watching the 1001 movies in this book. That's what you have chosen to dedicate your life to. And on the last that you complete it, you've watched all 1001 movies. And on the last day of your life, you walk into a bar and there's a group of people talking about goodwill hunting. And you go, what? I don't know that movie. And they look at you and go, I thought you were the guy that watched the hundred and one, the hunt, the thousand and one movies to see before you die. Are you dying a happy man? I mean, and that's not that outrageous of a scenario. That's a movie people talk about all the time. How could that movie not be in this book? So that being said i'm not gonna pull, i'm not gonna pull roman holiday out of the book i think that i think that her performance alone her lone oscar win the importance of her being discovered in this movie is enough for make to make this movie relevant enough to keep it out of these 1001 movies that are in here so i'm not going to be the guy that's going to pull roman holiday that being said adam i agree with what you said there's nothing about this movie when you just watch it blank that pops it says this is a movie that you have to see um but i'm not going to pull it out of the book i'm leaving it in well ian i I can respect that ian where where are you landing on this one 
Yeah, I got a yeah, I got a I got a little bit of both of what you guys are saying. Like I I get it. Like I get the iconicness. I get Audrey Hepburn. I get William Wyler. But as you said, he's got eight movies in the book. It's not gonna hurt him to have one pulled out. And so I mean, I I'm gonna I'm gonna butt up against the iconicness of this film and say, look, I'm I'm with you, Adam. I don't regret seeing it. I enjoyed myself. Do I feel like I have to see it before I die? Yeah, probably not. So I'm actually going to throw my recommend in there. I'm going to throw Charade in instead. Because Stanley Donan, he's in the book, but he's not in the book by himself. He's only yes. in there with Gene Kelly as co-director on, on the town, singing in the rain. And I think he made a masterful, very fun, very funny, very intense little thriller. I think when I was reading about Charade, I saw that... Uh, in the day, people had said that it was the best Alfred Hitchcock movie not made by Alfred Hitchcock. And I mean, it's, like I said, like I said at the top of the episode, there's just the right balance of thriller to silliness. The ratio is just absolutely perfect. I think uh, Cary Grant is knocking it out of the park. Audrey Hepburn is no more or less charming than she is in any other film you've seen her in. I, a charade is great. You got to see charade. Both of you, immediately, as soon as we're done recording this. Go watch Charade. On the list. I, it's on Prime. I don't know, go man. Go do it. I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I was thinking about queuing up the, the Snyder Cut. What do you think? Snyder Cut or Charade? What, where? Uh, uh, I don't, Snyder Cut is on my watch list. I'm not in any great rush, <laughs> but I think here's here's the deal. While we're here, I'll just... It's it's an achievement. I think I think that it's an important achievement i think it's great that snyder has got to see his vision sort of end to end i think justice pardon the pun has been done oh look at you for Zack snyder look at i you. think what's gotten lost in the, I, i'm gonna go fucking dark with it rightfully so i think what's gotten lost in this conversation is i mean him and his wife they lost their daughter and that's what prevented him from finishing his film and everybody gets into the whole Marvel versus DC is Zack Snyder a good director. I, I think what's really important is that his family went through a massive tragedy that none of us will ever know the gravity of. But if this four-hour version of his film is, is the little bit of light at the end of that tunnel, then whether it's good or bad, I think it's worth it. Oh, and don't get me hey, wrong. I'm... I'm going to watch it at some point i'm not going to watch it tonight that would just be that's not yeah that's not yeah, how that's, spending my friday that's a, night um that's a long night yeah, yeah for sure um so i yeah i'm i'm ultimately leaning towards that i i think it should come out of the book um and but again not not that it's terrible um it's totally serviceable and and i do think that it, it it's definitely a film of the era um but like i i've said this before i do think that the book is so back end heavy. I think it's so heavy of the, the thirties and forties and fifties um, that I, I, I don't think there's enough contemporary um, films in here. And while don't get me wrong, uh, the fact that goodwill hunting and no country for old men aren't in the book are, are crimes in their own right. I wanted to try to keep it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was romance or kind of a sweeping film, but I, the movie that I, when, the, when I was done and I was like the movie that I had wished that I had watched, which is going to be my replacement is big fish. Um, I, I love big fish. I am. Wow. I am not a big Tim Burton fan. Um, but this big fish gets me on all the right levels. Uh, when the, the romance stuff, everything with you McGregor trying to woo, um, his, his, what, who turns out to be Jessica Lang, everything with them later on, Jessica Lang and Albert Finney, everything with, um, 
with Billy Crudup and and Albert Finney and Billy Crudup and Mary Cotillard. I think this movie is is like uh like kind of a an epic and but it's great. It's fantastical. It's it's sweet. It's romantic. The ending is like amazing and um. And I, I think it's well it's well known enough, and I think Tim Burton is only in there for the really, the really kind of big showy things that he did. But I I love Big Fish, and I I think it deserves some love, and I think it should be in the book. I I'm genuinely taken aback. Uh, you have surprised me. <laughs> well done, sir. Because well, because I I, 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 have, I, I have a soul. I, is that? Yeah, yeah, because you you do have a soul. It turns out there's one in there. I'm I'm so, I have nothing. I have nothing but love for that replacement. I I have no critique of that. Yes. I don't know what to say. I'm genuinely floored. I uh, a blind spot. A blind spot for me. I gotta I gotta put that. Up. I'm getting my list is growing today. I love it, guys. You're 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 you're, you're educating me with this. I love it. I mean, Big Fish is the least Tim Burton Tim Burton movie, and that is. A really good thing. <laughs> I because I, I, when you consider what it, what did he do right after that? Did he do the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake? Yeah, right after that. That oh, was oh Jesus that, Christ! That, what a fucking shit show. Yeah, that was the are next. Are you not a Beetle? Are you not a Beetlejuice guy? I, mean, I, 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 I dig yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah, I'm fine with Beetlejuice, but I, I also it's it, it just it again it, it it's just such a Tim Burton movie. Like I I get it. I get Beetlejuice. I like. Edward Scissorhands enough and, and the early Batman. Sure. Of course. Like, I don't think any of those are bad movies, but they're also so him that, yeah, when you, uh, yeah, when you, it, when you watch big fish, you're just gonna, I, I don't think you'll, you'll, you'll get to the end. You'll, you'll be, there's no way Tim Burton directed this movie, but I yeah, mean, exactly. I was going to say there's two, there's two things that's going to happen. One, you're going to be like, wow, what a great movie. And two, you're like, you're going to be like, how the fuck did Tim Burton direct this? <laughs> um, well, so there, there you have it. Uh, uh, there was two no's and a yes on charade, but ultimately, uh, I, I think there's still equal equal amounts of admiration and 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 praise for the film. Just some differences on whether or not it should be in the book. But that's just what what we think about it. So uh, please find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Uh, let us know what you think of Roman Holiday and and where this fits into you know the iconicness of Audrey Hepburn films. Um, you can uh, uh, support the show at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one and listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and all those great places. And if you're going to those places to find podcasts, you should look up the Best Picture cast. Um, how many episodes in are you now? We're just getting to the end of our second season. We do 15 uh, 15 episodes a season so we're closing it on 30 and then at the end of every season we rank the 15 and we put them in the grand scheme to the end the, the idea is that the end game is we're going to have all 92 93 94 whatever it's at when we get there all ranked and ready to go so we're approaching the end of season two we'll start up season three for the summer and that's uh, at best picture cast on twitter on facebook on instagram we're on all anywhere you find your podcast best picture cast Come check us out. We we deep dive the movies. We we do lo- we do them long form. We do the long form version of them. We live in them. So you're gonna get a long run time, and we uh, we give you everything we can with it. So I was gonna Best say picture cast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't ask you who won the World Series in 1953. Do do you do you know that? <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who it wasn't. It certainly wasn't the fucking Seattle Mariners. What a fucking joke it that was, team is. It was. You pick a year. Pick a year. It wasn't them. They are the only I know major Don't. league team to never participate in a World Series at this point. Unfortunately, it's it's so. quite it's quite sad. 
it's quite sad. And the, the, the team with the longest drought going to the playoffs, right? They haven't been since 96? In sports, unfortunately, in all four major wow. sports. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, but the beauty of baseball is there's always next year, you know. So we have a new, <laughs> a new season coming up. Unless you're the uh, is it is a hundred? How many games is it? It's 162 games. Yeah. 162. And that's uh, don't you feel like that's maybe a game or two too many? Well, you know what? It's just one of those things, man. You know, you know, some things you don't question. And hey, I think with considering how everything's been. We'll all be real happy with 162. It's, it's no, better probably. Than, than 50 and, and six months of hiding in, indoors. So. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Definitely. Well, you're talking. You're talking to a rugby guy and uh, Six Nations. As as well, it'll by the time this episode drops, Six Nations will already be over. But in a tournament like that, you play each other once, and that's all you need to know who's the best. And hell yeah, and that's great. And, and d- just stop talking about rugby. Just stop. No, it's it's not going to happen. I'm. Gonna, the nation of Samoa is one of the big teams in that too, right? I know a little bit of rugby. Not not in that particular tournament, but they do field a hell of a team. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. Ian, yeah, I know a little bit. I know a little Ian. Bit. I know. Wrong podcast. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My roommates in college were all rugby players, so I'm good on, oh, I'm good nice. on rugby. I've been Fordham rugby, man. I've, I've, uh, we got to represent them too. Uh, but but it uh, but in all seriousness, Kieran, thank you so much for being on the show. Check out his podcast; it's great. They are deep dives. I I know personally, I've I can't remember all of them. I know I've done American Beauty. I know I've done Platoon. I know I did Braveheart. And the first one I did was Crash because I think I'm one of like six people in the world who like that movie. Um, so I had to listen to Crash. Um, but yeah, check it out. If you're if you're an Oscar nerd, you got to check it out. Um, and. Awesome. And stay tuned next week as we are doing – we haven't done – like uh, I think it's been uh, quite some time since we did our little short film double or triple feature. So so stay tuned next week for a, a, a duo of um, avant-garde short films. And um, I'll just leave it there for now. But until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. 